Hello, Saubona, Molo, Unjana, She, how's it? I am Samantha Herbst. And I'm Charlene Armstrong. And as always, we're joined by the very lovely Samantha Steele, renowned parenting journalist and rock star mom. Sam is here to take your hand, whoever you may be, and guide you in this week's discussion. Sam, hello, welcome. What are we talking about this week? Well, Sam, imagine living with your boss and you get an idea that we're going to be talking about live-in nannies. I forgot about that. Of course, we chatted about that in our last episode. No, I cannot imagine living with an employer, someone who pays me. Yeah, it would drive me nuts. Yeah, there's too much bitching that goes on behind the scenes. Like when, as soon as I exactly. get home, <laughs> who do you vent to about yeah. your boss being a, a, a twat if, if you live there? <laughs> Especially if there's a tiny little, um, a tiny little person that knows exactly where to find you after you've clocked off for the day. Mm. Mm. Well, look, this is a reality for lots of le- nannies living in South Africa, Sam and. Nannies in SA, the whole thing, everything we're discussing here, it's a unique situation to our country, and it has a really dark origin story. Yeah, it's very unique to South Africa, and it's very much related to our nation's history and how how that's impacted, like I said, it's had a ripple effect across every single relationship in the country. Mm. But you know what? There's, it's not like, I feel like it's easy to frame living nannies as being a bad thing, but anecdotally, a lot of the spe- people I spoke to actually the advantages to living in for both parties. So let's just keep that in mind that though some people get taken advantage of, and that's what the law is here to prevent as well, some people actually prefer the living situation because it led to lower living expenses, there's more flexibility. So there are there are pros as well. So, I mean, having that option as a childcare option has its roots in apartheid in our country, as does domestic help. I'm wondering, though, with regard to live in versus live out, how prevalent is live in or are live in nannies in our country? I mean, you used to have back in the day servants' quarters built into people's houses. I don't know if that's still being done. Like, are, are people still employing, for the most part, live in nannies or are they outside employers that come in every day? Well, statistically, a lot more nannies are live out, especially in Cape Town. We do find in Joburg, where the apartheid spatial planning, um, I think, has a bigger impact, that the ratio is more in favor of living and is preferring that option. Uh, so I'm assuming COVID has also impacted on these statistics? Oh, my word, Charlene, massively. When I was doing my interviews, there were so many people that escalated or um, decided to live in quite quickly when lockdown came for obvious reasons. Um, I'm actually one of them. We decided, we spoke to my nanny and said, either you're not you're not going to be able to come in or you could move in with us into our cottage and she chose to live in with us in our cottage which had its own you'll hear in some of the voice notes there are some challenges to being forced to live in with your employee for months on end with no no visits home in south africa i mean i suppose worldwide but in south africa with regard to having people living in, in your home we had to navigate when your nanny or your help goes and visits their family? Do you quarantine? Do they quarantine before they get back? A lot of families I know, they did go and visit and when they came back, they stayed in their room for a good 10 days, you know, where the employer would still bring them food and stuff like that, but they had to sort of quarantine. I mean, there were so many unknowns. We're a little bit more informed now and I think are just kind of getting on with it, but... Yeah, COVID brought a whole other, you know, dynamic, dynamic especially with, yeah. um, especially when it comes to public transport. I know also anecdotally from a lot of the moms um, I speak to that a lot of moms elected to rather either drive their nannies themselves to and from their house mm. or paid for Ubers or Taxify. And so there were taxi were services. There were taxi services doing the rounds where people in, from the same community, yes. like four or five moms, would get together and and pay for one taxi to to transport their nannies to them. Yeah. What are some of the benefits for employers? Other other benefits for having someone living in with you? So for the employers, pretty universally, the advantage was more flexibility. So like. If you're if you've got a 7 a.m. meeting, which actually happened to me this week, <laughs> it's easier to negotiate like earlier start time with your nanny, for example, and an earlier end of day time where you're not like, oh my word, if I end at half past five, she's gonna miss her taxi, she'll only be home at eight tonight. 
it just gives more flexibility without the nanny having serious like implications for their life. Mm. But uh, we find it also saves on time. And I mean, time is valuable for everyone. And for a lot of the nannies as well, I've been speaking now about nannies, but having secure accommodation, like a lot of the employers will provide food for their nannies as well, as well as furniture, even though legally all you have to provide is an empty room. Most employers that I spoke to anyway, don't just give an empty room, they'll give a bed with bedding, you know, a heated blanket and provide food as well. So there are certain advantages, but it all depends on the employer, which I think is a tricky thing, right? Yeah. You don't know what what handling yeah. adults. And I guess, so then what we want to try and establish is do the pros outweigh the cons for the nannies? And that is a real discussion. <laughs> so we're going to get stuck into what the, by law, what the legal minimum requirements are, we are going to be chatting about sort of additional ethics around that. But I'd like to first hear from nannies themselves. It's, it would be very presumptuous for us to be talking on behalf of of nannies, right, Sam? Oh, no, completely. And um, that's what uh, we made a big effort to do for this podcast was to speak to real nannies in the real situations and try to get some insight from them what their life is like. And, and as you'll hear, some of them had really good experiences and some of them had more challenging experiences. Parts of it are just about your family and your relationships, which are, you know, if you're living with your employer, you don't see them that often. Mm, and we're going to be chatting about sort of how to resolve those gray areas because there's there's a lot that's really not cut and dry, black and white. It's it, There are so many gray areas to this dynamic, but we do want to hear from the nannies themselves. So let's hear what the upside is, what the downside is of being a live-in nanny and what nannies would advise to each other you know those who have experienced it if someone is listening and they're trying to decide whether they want to ask for a live in or live out position you know what are those pros and cons we've got a voice note from Lynn Dewey thanks for sourcing this for us Sam let's hear it from her my name is Lynn Dewey Mangisa. I'm from Sibukeng in the Valtrainia but currently I'm a live-in nanny at Kayalami. The nice thing and challenges about my job, it's always nice to be working for a family that kind of take you like a, one of theirs. And the challenges is just being away from your real family. And what I like about my job is that I don't have to spend a transport like traveling every day. I am a stay in Nene, so I live in the premises. So it's always nice to have extra cash at the end of the month. And what's hard about being a nanny, a living nanny, is that I have to like stay away from my kids for the whole two weeks in terms of this COVID now because I used to like go home every week. But now because of the COVID, I have to stay away and like work for two weeks. And then on the weekend of the second week, I go home. My advice about other ninnies to other ninnies would be like, it's okay. It's okay to go through all the feelings and always try to talk to your boss. Always try to talk to your boss. Make her understand how you feel. Yeah. It will be okay. Just open the lines of communication. I think that's the best way to deal with this. So before we comment, I'd like to bring in another voice, but the two things come to mind and it's so obvious what the challenges are. And one of the most heartbreaking ones is that uh, the reality is in South Africa, they are, and, and with foreign nationals also coming in. So I would suppose it's better to say, in Southern Africa, we have this reality where people are needing to earn a living wage, but the the hectic downside is that we can't accommodate their families on our properties, and and it almost it, it so, still feels a little bit like slave labor, if I'm honest with so you. And I hear you, but you know what? There are families that, with the entire family, lives on the property with the employer as well. Mm. So really, really, that's where it becomes so employer dependent. Mm. Um, as we'll see in a later episode I'm working on at the moment, the one nanny I'm interviewing, she's got she's got her child living with her and her grandchild living with her. And she looks after both of them as well as the children that she looks after. 
So there, so there are certainly exceptions to that rule where people are kept away from their house. But in the same breath, I also know uh, a lot of the Zimbabwean nannies, for example, they elect to have their children stay in Zim. Mm. I mean, how much of a choice is it really? Because it's partly due to education costs in South Africa being much higher. Mm. So, I mean, the choice is kind of taken away from you in that way. I think the, the issue is the issue is a larger one and it's not something that we're going to solve in this one episode or or even in this generation. But I I, I, <laughs> did, I did want to bring bring that up that I think – I'm I'm hearing it through the through the ears of international listeners and they're probably like oh my god what are these these South African women what are they doing to their employers but I mean here we are we're bringing the, these issues to the fore let's hear an, another voice another nanny who is a live-in nanny and and has some pros and cons and advice to offer let's hear what Tembi has to say my name is Tembi Chokoza. I live in Four Ways Broad Acres in Joburg. I work as a live-in domestic worker. I used to work as a live-out before I was a live-in. The one thing I like about a live-in, you save a lot of money. You're not traveling. You get time, more time to relax. And the disadvantages of being a live out, you'll be traveling and you'll be paying rent. And as a live in and you are not paying rent, you are not traveling a lot and you get to work in time, not getting tired. And what I find hard to be a, a live in nanny is when you're sleeping late, knocking off, working after hours working over the weekends and what I would love to advise other nannies prefer to be a live-in nanny it is an advantage to you because you don't pay rent you don't pay anything you don't travel it is an advantage so first things first we lost Charlene to load shedding could there be anything more South African than that we're talking about nannies. We're talking about our unique sort of employer-employee relationships unique to this country in terms of childcare and then load shedding. If you're not South African and, and you have no idea what load shedding is, Google it and, and have a bit of a laugh at our expense. <laughs> so the Load shedding is definitely the PR term for, for what we're experiencing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, based on what Tembi said, Sam, let's look at those pros and cons for for the domestic helpers let's look deeper into exactly what they said before we get into that i actually want i actually wanted to touch on the one key message that came through for me from both nannies which is that communication is so key in this relationship and as the employer it's really important to remember that there's a power differential you've got someone living and on your house relying on you for food and money so don't feel, don't assume that they're going to be comfortable to come up to you and say, oh, I can't believe you made me work, like you asked me to work overtime the whole week this week. It's really your place to set up room for them to communicate with you and to not punish them for saying things you don't like to hear. Mm. So I just wanted to put that in there, that communication is really key, but I feel like the onus is more on the employer to set up a space where communication can happen freely and easily. Well, we're going to get into conflict resolution and we're going to get into those gray areas because there is a bit of a dance that we need to acknowledge here, especially when a nanny is live in. You know, we speak about nannies being very much a part of our families, but we we need to remember that this is an employer-employee relationship and these women have families of their own. We're going to bang on a lot about this in this whole series. But Sam, let's look, <laughs> yes. let's look at those pros and cons that Tembi and, and Lindy were brought up. So they don't, they don't pay rent and they don't travel. What is the, the biggest downside? Well, the biggest downside is lack of flexibility. So like popping into the grocery shop in the middle of the week, for example, is a lot more challenging. Obviously, not seeing your family is a really big disadvantage. Mm. Some families do have their nannies, families live in with them, but that's certainly not the, the norm. And I mean, a lot of the nannies that are coming here from other countries, their families are staying in the country where they came from. So they're seeing their children maybe once a year. 
if that, I mean, that's if that, pretty yeah. harsh. That's a real challenge. Yeah. Well, during COVID, I'm sure it's even worse. But um, yeah, that's certainly been the challenge for a lot of the nannies I spoke to. I think also these blurred boundaries because these nannies are never leaving their place of work, so it's very easy. Oh. <laughs> it's very easy for you. And I mean, if if they're so, let's say they're sharing a kitchen or they're sharing a bathroom with you, assuming they don't have their own you know, in, in their own cottage, you know, off, off your property. How, how do you manage that? Like, it, at what point are you switched on and you, it's your job to wipe the kitchen counter? Or you're actually there to make yourself a cup of tea and then bugger off and it's the weekend and it's actually the employer's job. I would imagine it is incredibly difficult for these women to switch off from their work because they're living there. It's a lot to, it's a lot to juggle. And I think also for um, the challenge also with childcare is that it's not like a desk job, you know, like if there's, if you've got a little toddler that knows where your nanny lives and loves your nanny, which is what you want, right? You want your nanny yes. and, your, and your kids to have this good relationship and a healthy respect for each other. I know my toddler, <laughs> um, she's two years old now, so she's, the house is her, is her property and she knows exactly where my nanny is. So we've worked out a signal that when Precious closes the curtains, that means that Precious is sleeping or she's eating. Good one. And I, I think we do need some more tips and tricks in terms of that and, and how to how to conflict resolve, how to manage relationships. I think there are some hacks that make all parties more comfortable. So let's go there. What about these nannies' relationships with their employers you know, I'd like to get into conflict resolution. So you spoke to a mom who seems to be navigating this fairly well. Yes, Sham, she's had quite a good experience with her current nanny. It's interesting for me is that a lot of the older nannies, they come from, well, they come from apartheid. They started to work during the 80s or the 70s. It's a very different context to come into work as a nanny, I think, in today's age. Lauren had a really good experience with her nanny and she's been very, very careful to try, to try and navigate respectful boundaries, which is the ongoing challenge, right, of this grey area, family, friend, employer situation that we've got. But I mean, let, let, let's have it in our own words. Yeah, let's hear it from Lauren. Hi, I'm Lauren, a Johannesburg-based work-from-home mom to a very busy two-year-old called Daryl. For the past nine months, my husband and I have had a sleeping nanny, Petronella, a wonderful woman in her 60s who we were lucky enough to snag from friends of ours that immigrated. She'd been looking after their toddler. So that really helps her to settle in and become part of our family quicker because we just didn't have to worry about having a stranger in our midst. What I like about having a nanny is just extra flexibility. If you need to leave early in the morning for a meeting or if you need to work a little bit later at night, you can obviously pay her extra. My husband and I are both cycle, so on the weekends, a little bit of a power struggle sometimes. But now we've got pets to just get to come in earlier and then just pay her. We also have the occasional date night now, which is nice. My advice for other moms is to discuss up front with your nanny how she wants to be paid. Does she want extra? Um, does she want you to supply her food? Does she want to eat with you? Does she just want supper every night? Or does she maybe rather want you to give her money towards her groceries? I think that the food thing is a key issue because obviously you've got another adult living with you. And then also just to discuss things like leave, you know, how often she needs to go off or when in the year or what date in December, because that's a key time of year and you need to make another plan. But otherwise, it's been a wonderful um, relationship and I highly recommend it if you can find someone that's not having to part from their kids. Sam, there are so many issues at play here and I'd love to get stuck into it. Lauren sounds like she's navigated her relationship with Pet really well and unique to them was the food issue um so there would be and and here it it boils down to the individual there cannot be one rule for all you know some women i would assume and now i'm assuming but i would assume some women um who work for you would want to make their own food and they wouldn't want to eat what you eat or they're happy for you to provide that but here we're here is where the boundaries are blurred is you discuss salary does that salary include what would have been transport? Do you take, you mentioned an employer could take 10% from the full salary to be charging rent. A lot of nannies said they save on rent, but at the same time, you know, legally you're able to take that 10% off. Oh, you can dock salary. 
which I find a little bit shocking, <laughs> but it is all things allowed, considered. Right? Exactly, all yeah. things considered. If you're going according to the letter of the law, which I I would I would hope that a lot of moms are going above and beyond the letter of the law because our, our and we'll get into this, but our law is pretty archaic and backward. Well, law caters for like people that are struggling financially, which I think on the employer side, like. If you're struggling financially as an employer, having that 10% that you save or whatever can be an advantage for you. But if you're living in a privileged, you know, upper Joburg suburb, I don't know if that's maybe the the wisest thing to do in terms of relationship building and in terms of how much you can help someone. Again, it all comes down to individual circumstances. I also think a key thing, uh, like the food discussion for sure, I think because a lot of people, like I said, don't always have time to go buy groceries and whatever. And hours and overtime. Yeah, yes, overtime. That's the big one. Um, and that must be a very open discussion. And also legally, there are certain parameters around how overtime works. So keeping in mind that just because they can work the whole weekend and you pay them extra, that's not really fair either because they're also going to be exhausted on Monday. And I know legally you have to have a 36-hour break from, like you, you have to have a 36-hour break during the week. So that would be like if you work until Saturday night, you cannot work again until Monday morning. Mm. And that's just for that mental health and that space and that breathing room and also to get their own life admin done. So just keep in mind those kind of legal parameters as well. I mean, I spoke to a night nanny recently who would work the day shift and the night shift. I mean, I don't know how she coped with those kind of hours that she was working. No, and we as employers, because we're coming from a background where these women didn't have a voice and we shouldn't be exploiting that. And it's something that we will continue to discuss. But what I do want to discuss first and foremost is let's look at that that bottom line, that basis, what the minimum requirements are. You spoke to Melissa Clayton Allardyce, who's CEO and founder of a Cape Town-based nanny agency, New Nanny. So tell me more about this interview, Sam, and let's hear what she's got to say with regard to minimum requirements, right? So Melissa was so great to chat to because she's got so much experience with nannies. She started the agency in 2017. And a big focus for her is creating equal equal relationships between nannies and parents. She's quite passionate about this cause. So she screens nannies, she places them, but she also works with housekeepers, or pairs, night nurses, teachers. You can find all of the information on newnanny.coza. So that's n-u-nanny.co.za. And um, through her experience and through speaking to a lot of nannies and a lot of parents, she's got a real good feeling. And she's got a lawyer on call as well. Just want to add that in. She's got a really good feeling for what's allowed and what's not allowed and also what's normal and what's not normal, which is often a lot harder to navigate. The basic requirements that the law has in place are, are extremely basic. So for, particularly for the sectoral determination for the nannies, which is essentially domestic workers. The law states accommodation should be waterproof, kept in a good condition, and that they should have at least one window and a door that can lock and that they have access to a toilet bathroom that they can share one with somebody. So either their own one or they share. So obviously those are quite basic because sometimes even those simple things are not in place, you know, but uh, you would also need to consider then having obviously a bed, mattress, linen, uh, somewhere for the nanny to store her clothes. You would want that person to feel comfortable in your home, you know, so that they could uh, give the best of themselves to your family. And then there are other kinds of sort of soft benefits, like people often provide food. Some people provide toiletries. It depends. There's a lot of ways you can make your nanny feel at home. As I mentioned, I'm I'm hoping that a lot of the employers listening are giving some added benefits, some of those soft benefits that Melissa mentions, because you know, you've got, this is someone's life. <laughs> this is, they, you want them to be comfortable and at home, right? I mean, I don't know, Sam, those minimum requirements are really, really minimum. It's really the minimum. I mean, I think um, providing a bed, for example, I would recommend that uh, if you're having someone live in your property. In a way, it's kind of sad that the bar is so low legally, um, but it also means that a lot of employers are voluntarily stepping up to do more if we look at it in a, in a positive light. And honestly, a lot of, I mean, obviously you get horror stories and you get people that will really do the absolute least they can possibly do. But I also spoke to a lot of people who do more than they can do, who are putting um, healthcare plans in place for their nannies, who are doing pension plans. 
um, as well as providing furniture and food <laughs> when it comes to the living situation. Yeah, just making sure that their basic physical needs are met as well. I mean, we're recording in the dead of winter. It's freezing. And I would assume that if you have a live-in nanny that you are taking care of uh, those types of things as well, just making sure that they're comfortable in their their day-to-day living environment. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of soft benefits, I would say, to to the live-in situation. And that's why I think a lot of people do elect to choose that for their work situation. But maybe we should have Melissa talk to that. Yes. Uh, what I want to say is what Melissa spoke about the expectations of, of the nannies, and that's what we're going to hear from her now. It is also just assuming, and, and based on her experience in dealing with the nannies that she represents, here is what the nannies expect. But again, the open gates of communication uh, need to be there, need to be in place because each person is going to be individual. But about those expectations, what expectations nannies have, let's hear what Melissa has to say. The nannies, I think what they really expect and what's important to them is that they have decent accommodation and that they have a bed, mattress, nice linen, um, a nice place to be able to rest after a busy day where your life is involved with family and people all the time, you know? So I think that, and if possible, their own bathroom, because to be honest, it's not so easy to share a bathroom with people, although that's not always possible. So I think that that is the minimum that mums and families should keep in mind. And their nannies do understand, I think that groceries and toiletries are um, extras Although, of course, if you're living in a house, it's really easy to be able to say, oh, you're welcome to some bread, butter, jam, an egg, you know, maybe the morning uh, breakfast when somebody has to get going. Uh, it's, it's nice to consider that you've got their breakfast and you, and you can include that on your grocery list for them, if possible. Again, the food, food situation comes up here. I was going to say the same thing, Sam, that the, the food situation comes up immediately especially for lunch. I think dinner, helping out as much as you can is great. Uh, Providing like a bag of pup or some raw meat that they can cook uh, for themselves, uh, for for the nannies. I know my nanny does not like my flavors, so she wants to cook her own food, which is great. I'm happy for her to do that. But lunch, for example, is a lot harder to make something from scratch. So I always make sure at our house that there's bread, jam, stuff available if she needs something to eat for tea. Mm. And I think that's probably a good best practice to do. And also to just have that conversation. What do you like to eat? Exactly. And, and within reason. Exactly. I mean, you. What what would you want if if you were in that situation? And then and then have a listen and and really open uh, that conversation so that they're they're able to say, you know what, I would like a little bit more protein in my diet. Would you mind buying a couple of cans of tuna or? so I could make some tuna salad to put on a sandwich. You know, there's so much, and I think we just need to acknowledge that there are individuals at play still. And so if you are a nanny listening, just be empowered and know that you you can make those demands and it's it's not cheeky. It's someone is paying you to be in their house and you can say what you want. And the worst that an employer can do is say, I'm sorry, I can't afford that right now or or no. You know, I, I I would really hope that we're making adequate demands of, of our employers. That said, there are these gray areas, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the whole relationship is fraught with gray areas. Um, and that's, I mean, it's not as clean cut as having an office job. Um, the, the business relationship ends, it's got quite clear boundaries when you're in an office. Whereas if you're a nanny and you're looking after someone's children, the gray areas are so much more prevalent um, and that comes from the hours you work and the flexibility both parties give. Because I think it's one thing to expect your nanny to be flexible, but you yourself must also be flexible. What if, I mean, I, um, one issue I would love to cover in the future is maternity leave for nannies, um, mm. going to the hospital, going to the clinic. The flexibility needs to work both ways. And uh, not to preach, I know um, <laughs> it. I can sound quite opinionated, but I think it's also just keeping in mind that um, you're both you've both got challenges and ideally this relationship would be cognizant of both sets of challenges and that open line of communication is so, so important for that, that you're both accommodating each other. So what are the risks of living at work? Here is what Melissa has to say about that. 
there's always this sort of awkwardness that can arise from living with people all the time. So, I mean, that can that can be around boundaries with regards to when you are going to be inside the main house and when you're going to be alone. Uh, there's also the risk that maybe you get, you know, you work much longer hours. I would say that that is the one risk that employer and employee have to be aware of with a living situation. Um, especially when you've, you know, the household is very busy with lots of little children and both parents working can tend to rely very heavily on your nanny. Um, so those those risks exist and you i would say the best way to uh, make sure that you have a good relationship is to balance all the time and and to do that almost weekly make sure that uh, you feel that the balance between you and your nanny is 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 good and if you feel like there's something that uh, she's asked you and you haven't gotten around to asking, I mean, to answering, or um, there's something that you can feel maybe she's not happy about and she's gone a bit quiet, address them and keep those lines of communication and just come back to balance every week so that things don't s- simmer a little bit under the surface and don't get unspoken about. And, and that way you become a better team and you, you learn that that's the way to work together. Because of course, in a home situation, everybody needs to feel comfortable. Otherwise you're feeling uncomfortable a lot of the time. I love what you said about communication um, and keeping that line open. I think that's so, so key for this relationship. Mm, That's something we're going to be banging on about. If you haven't heard it once, if you haven't heard it twice, you're going to be hearing about it dozens, if not hundreds of times on this show. All relationships flourish with good communication. What I'm wondering, Sam, I think is live in versus live out. Is there a difference in terms of remuneration? Did you... Chat to Melissa about that. Yes, I did because I think uh, some people view well view it as a, as a different working relationship, which it is in many ways. But how much that impacts pay? Well, I mean, you'll hear from Melissa. There's not much difference that it really makes. Strictly speaking, there's actually no difference in terms of compensation between a live-in and a live-out nanny, except for the ten percent deduction that an employer can make for accommodation. However, practically speaking, you want to ensure that if you had two nannies, uh, one live in and one live out, which does sometimes happen um, when the household is extremely busy, uh, that they are both receiving a sort of similar remuneration. So if you are providing meals to your live in nanny, you may want to provide a meal allowance to your live out nanny or make sure that you cover her transport costs. It just depends on your situation. And then also, like I said, interestingly, because many nannies uh, who are asked to be live in have got their own homes these days, there's no the reason that they're living in is because you require it. They don't always understand the value exchange of why you need to deduct something uh, because you've asked them to come and live in because they have a home that they could live in and commute to you every day. So that's something to bear in mind. I was chatting to you earlier, Sam, about a domestic helper who um, I sadly had to say goodbye to at the beginning of the year uh, so that she didn't spend half of her uh, wages on on getting to me in terms of transport. She was spending about 100 rand a day in coming to me just, just on her taxi fare. And I just, it took about a year of convincing where I said, listen, it's this is not in your best interest. And she didn't like it and I didn't like it. But anyways, that's a bit of background for me. But I, I'd spoken to her and I said, I don't have an option of you living in it. My house is not equipped with um, a cottage or a play, an extra room where you can stay. But if it was out of interest, would you want to live here? And she said, no, she loves her home. She enjoys her home. And that really hits home for me that I thought, I wonder how many people are having those conversations. You're assuming that you're cutting rent and and we heard it from Tembi and Lindiwe that uh, they it saves them money to be a live-in nanny so I'm not you know throwing the baby out with the bathwater I'm just saying they are different women and different individuals and they each have their own preferences and we need to look at who we employ as an individual right no for sure and that's why it needs to be a, a conversation I mean I know to speak from my own experience, my nanny, she has a, a 10-year-old boy, but in December before lockdown, he went home to live with his gran and Zim. And when I had the conversation with her around lockdown, if she'd like to move in with us, she was so happy to do so. 
And um, it's been a really good experience for us personally, for her and for us to, to be living together. But it really, really, I mean, it's, it's such an individual thing and everyone has got their own life situation and their own circumstances and their own extenu- extenuating things to think about and keeping that in mind is really important. And like like Melissa said, um, just because they live with you doesn't mean they're getting, like you can dock their pay or I know some people pay a portion of what's a fair salary because they think, oh, well, I'm providing food and she's living with me. Mm. Never mind that the freedom of choice is then taken away about what they eat and where they live and when they come and go. So there's all those things to keep in mind as well, that just because you can doesn't always mean you should. And quite frankly, (laughs) you can't dock half a salary because they're living with you. That's not legally allowed. I'd like to kind of give voice here to, as an employer, and that's you fumbling around a lot of us are first-time employers. We don't really know how to how to go about this. And I think that exactly. also needs to be considered is that this is so such a difficult relationship to navigate. You've got another woman in your house. It's a very intimate, close setup. I know from experience, like if, if, if you're living with your mother or your mother-in-law, it's difficult to have more than one adult in the house taking charge. And when you're leaving someone to to help you cook food or to definitely help you, you know, look after your child, there are there is a power dynamic, and it's it's difficult. There's a lot of blurred lines here, and in terms of conflict resolution, what did Melissa have to say about that? Well, I think there's a lot to to think about that that you've got to remember this is an intimate relationship, and for a lot of people, they don't have family on hand to help. You know, like like the nanny is their only support structure for raising their kids. So that's just an important thing to remember is that for a lot of people, the only help they can rely on is the help they're paying. And that is their nanny. And so keeping that a healthy, good relationship should be a big priority, you know, over and above basic things like, I hope my nanny can eat well. <laughs> you do need to be very cognizant of the fact that uh, you are in the most intimate of spaces. Both of you are sharing a home environment, uh, and it's important to make your nanny feel like part of the happy home environment. But of course, a home environment isn't always happy. There's ups, there's downs, you know, there's sometimes a bit of domestic arguing, arguing, parents grumpy, children crying, there's sometimes somebody's grandparent, you know, there's all the emotions that come with that. So nannies and parents have to be emotionally as intelligent as they can be. And just keeping those lines of communication really open is so important so that you can constantly, you know, give your nanny a voice and space to voice what she's thinking and feeling because you can quite often be quite surprised by what it is that's actually bothering her. And you may have made an assumption and it's not at all the case. So I think that that's also the really important part. And, and culturally, you know, people deal with things differently. So you, if you can sit face to face and allow everyone the chance to speak, then you learn about each other and you can deal with any complexity that comes along, I'd say. So, I mean, Sam, doesn't that sound a lot like a marriage to you in some ways? That, mm. that there's these nuances to it. It's an intimate relationship. And there's no, it's really hard to get a feeling of what's normal, right? Like what's a normal fight? When is someone overreacting? When did you maybe overstep the line and maybe maybe it's your turn to apologize? And I find um, in a lot of the like mommy WhatsApp groups that I'm in, I'm sure you're in a few yourself. Uh, um, So many questions (laughs) come through about nannies because there's just no way to know. Like you don't really have a feeling for what other people are experiencing. Mm, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It, It does sound a lot like a marriage and I think you need to treat it as such. Have the same respect for that relationship as you do for your own with your partner, um, assuming you have one. And then that said as well, what, what happens with a partner before you become married is that you court them. And so for anybody employing someone for the first time, I would say that don't jump into it with all of these promises, right? Don't jump into it and go, oh, you can get this and I'll promise you this and I'll promise you this and then you've overshot You've written checks that you can't cash. <laughs> I would say <laughs> first, literally. <laughs> first court each other, feel each other out. It needs to be a good setup. And sometimes you don't know if it's going to be a good setup until you've lived together for a couple of months. So don't draw up that final contract that 
that binds you to this person and that has this person depending on you for, you know, permanently, just say initially, if you're not comfortable, you don't know how it's going to work. We're all fallible. None of us are infallible here. And I would say for the sake of both parties, when you are starting out, start out slow and work your way into into the relationship. It, and I'm really giving my unsolicited advice. Here. <laughs> and well, I mean, Sam, you're completely right about it being a trial. I mean, that's actually best practice uh, that Melissa recommends is having your nanny in for a trial period before you, I mean, a paid trial period. No one can really afford unpaid labor at this stage. But having them in for a trial period, and it's also just a personality test, right? Like your two personalities in the house with two different belief structures, two different backgrounds. I think the thing to remember is that this kind of relationship comes with a lot of emotional labor from both parties. And that means that both people are working at navigating each other, feeling each other out. You know, like I remember working in magazines that I would know, like my editor hated the semicolon, so I'd never use a semicolon. You know, what's the equivalent, <laughs> what's the equivalent of that? In the nanny-mom relationship, like, I know my nanny hates pork, so I'm not going to cook pork in the house so she doesn't have that smell. You know, like, stuff like that. Like, there's, there's all those personality quirks to remember and to work around. And that does make this a slightly more complex relationship to, to other ones. And you'll only figure that out after some time, right? So this is all our unsolicited and unprofessional opinions. We're just moms, yeah, <laughs> podcasters, journalists, you know, kind of surmising and, and talking out of our own experience. Melissa deals with nannies all the time and she has some tips in terms of best practice. Striking that fine balance between, <laughs> you know, treating your nanny with respect and as part of the family, and, but then somehow also managing to keep a healthy employer-employee relationship. So I would say start off on a good foot Make sure that you understand what's required of you. If you are having somebody to come and live in with you, knowing what you must supply by law, making sure that you what you are giving the nanny is humane, fair, and decent. So, in fact, in this case, I would say you would need to provide a bit more than what the absolute uh, minimum is that the law provides for. And yes, and like I say, sit down and let your nanny always uh, also have a voice because uh, it's not always easy for her to speak up, but when she knows that she's got someone who listens uh, and you, you forge a relationship like that, then you will find you can get over any kind of hump. This was the best advice for me. Give your nanny a voice. Remember where we're coming from, and we're going to be chatting about it a little bit later as well. Remember that we come from very harsh, fraught beginnings uh, when it comes to the nanny employer dynamic in this country and there's a lot of generational trauma that's come down over the years and I don't think that these women feel like they have a voice if you are a nanny and this is speaking to you know that it is your human right and it is your legal right to speak up for fair pay for adequate hours for enough rest and for your basic human requirements and to be treated like a professional who knows what's up when it comes to childcare. So I, I, I want to leave it that at that, Sam. I don't know if you have anything to add, but we've got one more voice note from a mom who has some, uh, we spoke about those hacks and she's got a, a hack that I found quite useful. So let's bring in um, Alexa and what she has to say. Hi, I'm Alexa Young. I have two small children at home a four-year-old and a 10-month-old baby, and we have had a live-in nanny for a year. We have really loved having our live-in nanny. We wanted her so that she could be more flexible. We work really long hours and we need help in the evening. So we wanted her for that reason. Some of the challenges that we have found have been around expectations of what the job actually is versus what we thought or what she thought it might be. In order to tackle that, what we've done, which has been really useful, is to have a weekly calendar up on the fridge so that she can see when I'm coming and when I'm going so she can sort of manage her day. She knows when I'll be back. And in addition to that, I put a monthly calendar up at the beginning of the month where she clearly marks her overtime hours. So if she's had to work till six or if she's worked earlier or later on the weekend, she marks it down and everybody can see very clearly 
how much she's worked and what overtime pay is to be expected. And that's been really great. I love this advice and I might just implement it. I also love the advice. I really like the idea of having it all very transparent. There's no trying to remember how many overtime hours did you work or are you coming back early on Thursday or is it late on Friday or and just having those expectations clearly set out makes things so much easier to navigate. There's no guesswork, no resentment. Um, it's all out in the open for everyone to see. So, Sam, you spoke in, in, in doing this series, you, you've spoken to a lot of moms and you've also spoken to a lot of nannies. And it, it is a bit outweighed here because there are some nannies who just, like we say, they don't feel like they have a voice. We're trying to balance it with this podcast. But a lot of nannies are afraid. They don't want to speak out against their employers, and it's hard to get them on record, right? But I do want to advise nannies and parents uh, with regard to the live-in home environment. So in your research and, and based on your own personal experience, what advice would you have for nannies who are navigating this, this space and these relationships? So Sam, I think a lot of it comes down to, as we've said, beating the drum, the communication drum, but also keeping in mind that there are a lot of assumptions made from both sides, right? So houses are busy, things are chaotic, you've got multi, you might have multiple kids with multiple schedules. So Melissa's advice was to speak to your employer for a meeting to find out the household schedule and start to familiarize yourself with how that house works. That's easier for you in terms of your expectations, but also then um, it creates a nice dynamic with your employer where she sees that you are approaching her um, with what you need. It's also good because a lot of families don't have a really good routine or structure. So the more you know, the more you can kind of start to implement something that makes sense for you and for the family you're working with. I find what also is really helpful is to know what a typical week looks like. So, so you have a bit of a roadmap, like does the toddler go to creche uh, three times a week or no days a week? When are classes? When can you, if you're expected to clean, when will you have time to do that? Because I know <laughs> cleaning with a toddler is the most <laughs> impossible thing ever because as you clean, they make even more of a mess. Uh, cleaning with a toddler in the house is like, we're trying to brush your teeth while eating an Oreo. We've said <laughs> yes, this before. Exactly. It's impossible. <laughs> we've got a little artist in my house who's currently scribbling on all the walls. So we've got all of us running around with cloths after her. <laughs> And also, I mean, for nannies, just be patient. I mean, I know that's hard to hear, but many parents are first-time employers and first-time parents, right? They're navigating mm. a whole new world on so many levels. A lot of them are trying to do the right thing. Obviously, some people aren't, and those, that's a situation you should try not stay in, I would recommend. But give them some patience. Try to give them some guidance. Often nannies have got more experience in parenting and in household maintenance than the parents actually do themselves. Yeah, so if you are a nanny and you are coming into a home with a first-time mom or with first-time parents and you see that this woman is struggling, remember that you have experience. You are a professional. Guide her. Have that respect. I think there needs to be mutual respect here, but have that respect for your employer, sure. But I can guarantee you from a mom's point of view, it would help to have that gentle guidance and kind of someone taking the lead because mom's... As you mentioned, Sam, you mentioned emotional labor and moms deal with a lot of that. We, we've taken a lot on our shoulders and, and sometimes it feels like we need to have it all waxed and be the decision makers. And frankly, we're all dealing with decision fatigue. So when my nanny comes in and says, Noah is hungry or it looks like Noah is constipated and this is the plan of action we should take, I listen to her. I lean into that. And if my gut feel as a mom is different, then I go, you know, let's gently give it, give an alternative, you know, solution to that, to, to what you've said. But thank you for bringing that up with me. I would say advice for both. Be professional, be realistic, be open-minded and be empathetic for one another. This is a tough relationship and I think you need to acknowledge it as such. No, for sure. And I think, I mean, like you said, Sam, I know a lot of pediatricians like to have the nannies in the room for the sessions because the nannies have got insights that the parents might not necessarily have just because of a time capacity. Parents aren't, aren't able to be there sometimes as much as the nanny is. But that being said, I know also some moms take umbrage at being given advice from the nanny. So I think it's, it's just about navigating it and about knowing, like, knowing when you want to ask for help, but also being 
you don't have to agree with what your nanny says necessarily. That doesn't mean they're wrong to tell you what they think. So Sam, we, we've said a whack load of stuff here. Yeah? Actually, I, I feel like we need um, Alexa Young in here to to psychologize this whole thing because, <laughs> I mean, frankly, we all need a bit of therapy here. It would be so nice to have the time and the resources to just, uh, you know, sit and unpack it, sit and unpack this, this, this difficult relationship, which we are trying to do. And we'll be carrying on with that next week. What are we going to be talking about? Well, I've spoken to a labor lawyer who helps just lay out some of the history of this dynamic and some of the backgrounds. We speak about the dark history of, of living nannies. And so we're going to go and dive into that a little bit. And um, we've actually got a nanny who's elected to be anonymous, who has spoken about her transition from the old regime into modern South Africa as a nanny. So that should be quite interesting, I think. Mm, I cannot wait. Hopefully, Charlene will be back and we will not be impacted on by load shedding. Um, we miss you, Charlene. Sorry that you missed this discussion. Listeners, if you have any comments or queries on our episode or a story of your own about um, your experience with being a live-in nanny or hosting a live-in nanny in your home or employing a live-in nanny, please feel free to touch base with us at info at thegreatequalizer.co.za. And if you liked this episode and found it useful for yourself or other moms or other nannies, Please feel free to rate and review us on your preferred listening platform and share, share, share with your social networks. So that's it for this installment of The Nanny Diaries. Tune in next week for more on Live In Nannies and the history behind it. For more on today's show or for additional information on our expert guests, please head on over to our website at www thegreatequalizer.co.za or catch up with The Great Equalizer podcast on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. If you'd like to get in touch with Samantha Steele and the TGE gang, email us at info at thegreatequalizer.co.za and we'll get back to you.